I'm ready. I'm not. Okay. You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, or 40 minutes, we're going to be talking about Doctor Who, so you don't have to. Which is by way of saying they haven't turned up. They've not turned up. There's only two of us here. There was supposed to be four. So I guess if my thing pings, we may have further arrivals later. But it doesn't look like it. So it's just the two of us. Okay. And what we've got is the girl who waited. So d- tell me that we have about twenty minutes worth of emails. We've got <laughs> no emails, nothing else, but this episode to discuss film reviews. Um. Well, I watched Neon Bull. Oh, but I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear a review Which I've just that. lent you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, oh. well, I can, yeah, well, I can give you a taste of what it's oh, about. Oh, no, yeah, I don't, I don't mind hearing a review, but probably at the end. Okay, you want me to save that? Well, we in normally, case we're desperate. You normally do film reviews at the end. Well, I know sometimes I bung them in at the start. Do you? Make people wait for the Doctor Who. The exciting stuff. Okay. Yeah. I try not to be predictable. Right, okay. So sometimes I'll do it at the start, sometimes at the end. Okay. I'll save it though. Okay. And then if we are desperate for time, not like I'm playing for time now or anything. Hey, (laughs) the girl who waited. You never know. We might find 60 minutes worth of stuff to talk about. Should do. It's an interesting episode. Yeah, but it's 40... This is the thing I find. When an episode's immediate and now and you're reviewing it straight afterwards, you mm. can talk for about twice the episode's length about what's going on. Yes. But when it's one that's been on a few years ago and you know what come afterwards and you know and you've sort of already absorbed it all, mm. you don't need to talk about everything because you've absorbed it already. Well, let's try talking about everything. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, let's talk about what we thought of it the first time we saw it. Okay. And how long is it since you've seen it? Roughly broadcast? So, um, I saw it on transmission. And I can't, I must have seen it once more, but very close to transmission. I think I've seen it twice before, before tonight. Um, And when I first saw it, I was underwhelmed, I think. Um, So, I wasn't a fan of the, that complete sort of abstract science fiction, that sort of high concept science fiction yeah, yeah, yeah. of it. Um, I wasn't convinced at the time about elderly Amy Pond, uh, either in the performance or in the makeup of it. It didn't really grab me in the way that it seemed to grab other people with the kind of the emotion of the, of the situation. Um, I was sort of, I sort of saw it at the time as being one of those episodes where it's clearly designed to get the Doctor out of the way so Matt Smith can act in something else and give him a break. So that felt a bit contrived. Um, So yeah, that was my feeling. I was sort of underwhelmed. There were positives. Well, we'll go um, into those. But the positives are more attenuated in the rewatch. So it's... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I really enjoyed it. Mm. I liked the fact that it did a high concept science fiction story because Doctor Who actually doesn't do that very often. No. And I thought it was a nice change of pace. Mm-hmm. I didn't really I didn't really take much note of what it was doing in terms of the story arc. Yeah. Because it looks like a completely standalone episode that has nothing to do with the story arc. Mm. But like I said at the start of the Let's Kill Hitler episode, where Let's Kill Hitler is the idea that underpins the story arc. Yes. I think this actually does do something huge. Mm regarding the story up but I'll come back to that yes so I really enjoyed it yeah and I watched it again on my Moffat rewatch in 2013 or whenever that was I'm going to be saying that every week yes. yeah. because well, I rewatched yeah. the well, whole that's the, of... that's the thing about rewatching these things it's not like the old series where you watch Pyramids of Mars periodically yeah no you With watch the old series, series yeah. you watch it and then you watch the next episode and you have sort of series rewatches rather than yeah. individual episodes and then 2013 or thereabouts, I watched the whole of series six from yeah. start to finish. I mean, I've so. never, I've never had that sudden feeling. Oh, I want to watch Let's Kill Hitler now. Yeah, necessarily. No. I, I've, I've watched series you know, six, yeah. so you won't. Yeah, yeah, yeah usually. Yeah. yeah, and uh and yeah, about three or four years ago, whenever it was, I, I'm not sure exactly. I watched series six, or yes. about three days off. I had. And I think I watched a lot of Series 5 as well, but just the Moffat ones. Anyway, so this time, um, I liked it slightly less than I did before, (laughs) but only by a fraction of a margin, really. Right. I liked it a lot more. Yeah. Um, And it's a running... The the reasons are they're a running thing in this rewatch in that I'm more used to Karen Killen now. So I'm more, I can digest her performance a lot more easily. Partly because I've seen the entire run with Karen Gillan, but also partly yeah, yeah. because I've seen her in other things since. I've seen her oh, in right, yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy. I've seen her in Oculus. I've seen her in these films. Is Oculus any good? I keep hearing Not, recommendations of that. It wasn't fantastic, but Karen Gillan was good in it and different from Amy, Amy Pond. Right. So I think seeing her in these different things has made me realise... She can act. Well, but also she's got charisma. It's not just... Oh, yeah, okay. You could see she had charisma in Doctor Who, but because it was her really her first main role, you just thought, well, her charisma is being herself. Plus, it's a a bit of the chemistry between her and Matt and um, Arthur Darville. Yes. They're all rubbing off on each other. So specific. Yeah. Which which at the time, I, I was... I oscillated between enjoying and thinking it was self-indulgent. Yes. Um, but actually, nostalgia has kicked in now. So I can actually... I'm actually feeling that I'm enjoying it a, a lot more. Well, the first time I watched through five and six, I found her really irritating in five. Yeah. And I thought she settled down a lot in six. Right. But on this rewatch, because we... For anybody who doesn't realise, we did series five just before... We're now doing series six. Well, not just before we had series ten in between, but you know what I mean. Yes. So, on the rewatch, which we still haven't finished, of what season ten, the original series. No, series ten. Oh, right. Okay. We watched series five before series ten with Bill Potts. Okay. Oh, and yes, now we're sorry. doing series okay. six afterwards. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I enjoyed it a lot more in okay. series five rewatching yeah. that then, possibly for the same some of the same reasons as you. Yeah. Say. 
But I just think her performance has got a lot more subtlety to it I than so, yeah. I noticed yeah. at the time. Um, and the other reasons I enjoyed it a lot more in this rewatch, um, again, and it's again similar with most of these, I know what's coming. So I could see this story prefiguring yeah, the, yeah. the departure of Amy Pond and Rory. So they'll make your choice of this sort of, this kind of, they've got this gap of, between them in time. And they make a particular choice to reverse it, yeah. and then obviously the way they go in the final the conclusion way, yeah. is a sort of a reversal of that or a resolution of that. And on that note, to go back to what I was saying earlier about the series arc, mm. like what I said about "Let's Kill Hitler," the series arc is throwing up a question: the Doctor is going to die. Can we rewrite time so that it doesn't okay. happen? Yeah. So that's the opposite of the Hitler paradox. So they yeah. throw an episode which highlights the Hitler paradox in there. Mm. And in Let's Kill Hitler, the conclusion they come to is we can't change time, essentially, because they go back and the plan to kill Hitler, both by Mel's and by the people running the test selector, it doesn't come to anything. Hitler doesn't get killed. Yeah. So they all get waylaid. And whatever plans they had to rewrite time, time doesn't get rewritten. Mm. So it's almost like Let's Kill Hitler is saying, no, you can't rewrite time. But actually, in conjunction with this episode, what Let's Kill Hitler is saying is, well, if you want to rewrite time, there will be occasions where it doesn't happen. And here is saying there will be occasions where it does. Mm. So actually, this is prefiguring the end of this series as well, in saying, well, if you want to rewrite time, then as long as your focus stays on it, and you don't get waylaid, then you have the chance. So this kind of is a prefiguring of the end of the series. And it's also doing it in a in a contained environment. So this one's doing it yes. in a contained environment. Literally, it's a quarantine. The end of the series, which we'll get to, does it in an uncontained environment. Mm. And it all goes monstrously wrong. And you get time collapsing in on itself. Yeah, so we'll get to that. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, we'll get to that. Um, so yeah, I, do, I, I, I could see more in it. I, I still thought it was high concept. I still thought it was oh, high concept. Yeah. And I can see why you'd like that. I think sandwiched in between... At the time, sandwiched in between two quite low-key, creepy psychological episodes. So we've got um, Night, Night Terrors and The God Complex. Have you watched rewatched Night Terrors? No. Okay, fair enough. Um, but I can remember it. I can remember liking Night Terrors and liking it. And I know that it was... It was kind of like most of Mark Gatiss. It has that kind of nostalgic, sort of old-fashioned, almost to a fault feel. Mm-hmm. Kind of low-key, um, focusing on a particular a particular transformative effect for its its scares. Not high concept necessarily, um, and the God Complex is different, but it's still it's still kind of. Contained in group. Yeah, and we'll get to that. But sandwiched between those, this felt... This felt... And either either a welcome change of pace yeah. or slightly out of place. And I think originally I felt it was slightly out of place. Now, now possibly having watched Capaldi episodes, having seen where Moffat goes when he really runs with, runs with sort of eclecticism, where he, he kind mm. of... He kind of mashes things up, and he he goes for different storytelling styles. I think this is this is kind of one of this season where he starts to sort of 
he starts to push it, although he didn't write it. I mean, well, it's he, that kind yeah. of that kind of story type was something well, he that he'd, he'd arranged for. So I think, again, getting getting a complete overview of every of all the Moffat stories, this doesn't feel out of place anymore. This feels that jarring feels like Moff the way Moffat does it, almost as as kind of. It's as kind of like... routinized, routinized as Russell T Davies, like past, present, future, past, present, future. Almost Stephen Moffat's randomness becomes something that he does and becomes because becomes, he doesn't. Yeah, yeah, because he doesn't most of the time do that past, present, future. Thing. No, he does. No. He does it more conceptually. Yes. Yeah. This was directed by Nick Hurran, okay. who also did the God Complex. Right, if I'm remembering rightly, and did the day of the doctor. Oh, okay. Wow. So, if I'm remembering rightly, okay. So, and this was my maybe slightly more disappointing this time thing. Right. Is I remembered it as being really well directed, mm. and it is. But just like with um, what was the one where I said there were a couple of things that irritated me slightly more? A good man goes to war. Right. The couple of things in this one that irritated me slightly more were directorial things. Right. All that slow-mo at the end. <laughs> I was thinking of that as being quite a nice... I mean, that that, that scene of Amy Pond, old Amy, doing samurai the... oh, I didn't mind that. That's the, the, that's the bit the... that they show on repeat I know. as being a sort of a, a but dynamic... But slow-mo through the entire thing. Right, yeah. You know, that entire sequence is virtually all in slow-mo. Yes. And I'm just not a fan of slow-mo. I'm fine so long as the character doesn't speak during the slow-mo. Yeah. So the whole sort of... That doesn't doesn't work. But if it's something like, for instance, River Song killing the silence in in the the moon landing one, she does a sort of slow-mo shoot shooting the sort of an arc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That worked quite well. very similar to this. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I think would make slow-mo work a lot better? Just to go off at a slight tangent. Okay. If instead of cutting from a shot that's in real time to a shot that's in slow-mo, yes. they actually slowed into slow-mo okay. during yes. a shot yeah. and then sped back out of it that's into almost, real time. That's almost um, a sort of Guy Ritchie thing to do. Or a Guy Ritchie thing as well, perhaps. Maybe. <laughs> Possibly. Wachowski's... Well, I'm thinking bullet time. They'd normally stop and then move around. But then Guy Ritchie does that as well. Yeah, but Ritchie, they do that mid-shot, of, Yeah, is what I'm saying. Yeah. It's yes, like, yeah. if you're going to change yeah. pace, change pace in the middle of a shot. Yes. Rather yeah. than... Do you know what really irritates me about Doctor Who? Go on. As soon as we're on this tangent. Yeah. And this is, this is a minor irritation, but okay. it's every single bloody episode and it annoys the hell out of me right they do these lovely title sequence and the one that we're watching at the moment for series five six and the first half of seven yeah. the graphics are timed so perfect you've said the music. this before yeah no 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 okay oh maybe i have but i don't you said so. you this was your problem with the um the, the next title sequence oh no 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 the random sort of no 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 no, okay. no this is a different thing okay and then you get to the end of the title sequence. Yes. And there's a last beat of the music. Yes. And then the 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 sound fades. Right. And then the episode comes up. Mm. But they don't cut the graphics in the title sequence on the last beat of the music, which right. is where it needs to stop. Okay. So if they don't cut the title... They should either cut to black. 
on yeah. the last beat of the music yeah. and then fade up the picture right. of the first scene. Or else, if the graphic's going to go on beyond the last beat during yeah. the fade-out of the reverb, the uh, sustain, right. then there should be a cross-fade into the first scene. Okay. But it doesn't. There's a final beat on the music, which is a very... <clears throat> which is a very... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? It, the music cuts off. Right. And then there's a sustain. Yes. And then the picture cuts off. Right. Literally a cut straight into a the opening shot of the next scene. Right. At a separate place. Okay. And it just, every time that happens, I'm thinking, no, oh, that needs to be on the beat of the music. Right. Or else it needs to be a crossfade. Okay. Because the sound is crossfading. Right. As the sustain goes out, the sound of the episode comes up. Okay. So the sound is crossfading so and the picture cuts. So that's not, never bothered me. And I'm going to make a point of not looking for it. Because if I look for it, then it might start bothering me. <laughs> oh, no. Because it's never bothered me. It's I've been, been happening since Rose, and it's bothered me on I've every been watching, episode since. I've been watching in my... Sitting in bed, watching one episode of Doctor Who, old Doctor Who and I. I've been watching the War Games. And I think the War Games has the right <clears throat> the right idea about leading into to the episode. Because it's got that... They they went through a phase. But those explosions. Yeah, yeah. Hasn't but they yeah. must have gone through a phase. Yeah, they of did. Having really unusual sort of series seven. Yeah, same, yeah, yeah. And there are a lot of other stories in series six that season mm. six that yeah. do it. Yeah, yeah. And I have no idea why. Whether it's just a particular director, or is it a director? Maybe. No, it's a producer. It's a producer. Yeah. Okay. okay. That's the producer's choice. Right. And yeah, it was the producers were changing at the end of the sixties, and yes. this was when Sherwin and Bryant were around. Okay. Yeah. And I think it must be, I think it must be Sherwin because Sherwin oversaw the start of series season seven. So it doesn't happen in Spearhead. Um, Spearhead just no, but it happens one. in Ambassador. Ambassadors of Death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it doesn't happen with Silurians, but it does happen with Inferno. I'm trying to remember, I can't. Inferno is with it's got like volcanoes and stuff. Happens in the Ice Warriors. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Does it happen in? I think it happens with. It happens as early as the Tenth Planet and the War Machines yeah. and things like yeah. that. Yeah, because it happens so in the animated world as well. Doesn't yeah, it? yeah. So it's a thing that's yeah. going on, but yeah. it's more prevalent during series season six. Okay. And but presumably the type the the card that says what the episode is. That's kind of an optional. That's kind of bolt on to the title sequence. But well, usually that happens. At, so they have freedom. Yeah. That's the, that's the point where it's taken over by the actual story. So they have freedom to to put up whatever. Although the the war, the war games. When you're watching it in the dark in your bedroom, it's almost like a sort of an epileptic kind of. It's got that kind of strobing to it. But if I'm not remembering wrong, with the war games, you've got the explosions and the titles yeah. cards come up in the explosions. Yes. Yeah. And then at the end of the title sequence, there is a second or so of black before the episode comes up. There's a final explosion. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and the yes. final explosion, so so it does the opposite of what yeah. I'm complaining yeah. about with the new yeah, series. Yeah, this is what I, this is what yeah, I was yeah. saying. That actually, yeah. I thought it was quite an effective yeah, way yeah. Of, of leading into it. I just can't... They spend so much time timing things right. to be perfect. Yes. And things like the title cards and the name of the director and the writer when they come up at the start of an episode or whatever. Because um, you've got the name of the episode and the writer. Yeah. And then after that, 
as the episode starts, you've got the name of the producer and the director, right. if I remember right. Okay. And they're very careful about where they put them. Yes. So that it doesn't appear under a important line of dialogue. Mm. And it doesn't um, go over for a, a cut in the shot. Yeah. It'll appear during a shot that's long enough to hold the card for long enough for it to be on. Yes. And things like that. Why didn't they just... Just a simple thing with the yeah. crossfade or the right. cut at the end of the music. It okay. just... Yeah. <clears throat> Everybody who's listening to this who's never noticed that before will start noticing it now. I'm, I'm not going. I'm not going to notice it. <clears throat> I'm not going to look. For you it. say that now? No. Well, I don't notice the. I don't tend to notice the small details. I don't think. I just. I just edit them out. Yeah, I notice every detail. Mm. I think, but then most of them disappear until they repeat and repeat and repeat. So he, this this also <clears throat> compared to next week's. <laughs> With the same director, this this very feels this feels very much like an outside you story, like an exterior story, which is quite interesting because it's actually one of the more interior stories. Yeah, it's all indoors, pretty much. But there's the a garden. garden. Yeah, but it still felt like. <sighs> yeah, it feels like they're on. Well, a lot of it feels like they're it's in like a sort sm- of. It's like smile. A little bit like Smile. Yeah, yeah. That's that, very much like Smile, really. That's sort of interior but they've gone to such lengths to make the interiors feel kind of Real. big or monumental oh, yeah, that yeah. it feels like they've they've gone outside to film. Well, it looks like most of it was filmed, well, apart from the um, the the anti-rooms. Yes. It looks like most of the rest of it was shot out on locations, doesn't it? I think so, yeah. Yeah, that's what it looks so like. So I liked I So liked one that. of them... The bit where she walks through where the first hologram comes up, the sort of welcome yeah. area where there's that long bar, mm-hmm. is just around the corner from the cafe where they film the American Diner stuff. Okay. It's oh. um, down on, just off the um, the bit where Torchwood right. rub is. Right. Yeah. I, still, I haven't been to Cardiff. No, it's all in I that sh- very close area. I should go. Because I've I've made a point of I'm not a location hunter. I'll put it this but... way: it's the same room where Saxon gets shot in Last oh, of the right. Time Lords. Okay, okay. On the staircase. Oh right. Yeah. The staircase is just at the end of that bar. Yes. Yeah. I should I should visit some of these locations, but it they all seem to be in one area of Cardiff, whereas in the early years. They're in like nice villages around Berkshire and Well, Wiltshire they did that as well. In yeah. fact, Moffat's Doctor Who does that a lot more than Davis does. Bit, yeah. So there's lots more Forest of Dean, mm. Cheltenham sort of villages on the, the borders. And they're going to Wales and they've been up on the moors, I think. Yeah. And yeah. various other places. Yeah, that's it. It's. If you can, if you need to go further afield, it's going to be more expensive. So yes. I think you get as much done as you can, as close as you can, in order that well, you, you can either afford it. you either do it in Wales, or you go to Dubai, yeah, or yeah. well, South no, South Africa now. Mm-hmm. So in actual fact, you either do it very locally, or you very far, very far away where it's cheaper to film. Yeah, yeah, and you get more consistent weather. So you can just well, film yeah. all the time. Well, if you're if you're not unlucky. Yeah. Anyway, so the the chances of them coming back to Hampshire or going to Hound Tour again are pretty limited. Well, I'm not so sure. Yeah, yeah. no, they've they, they've been quite far afield hmm. 
from Cardiff in the last couple of years. Right. They, I try, I'm trying to think now where they've been, but they've been they've been further afield than you think. Right. I think. Okay. Yeah. So I'm trying to think as well. Well, I've been to various castles, and they've just filmed in Sheffield. Oh, have they? Yeah. So, okay. So that's um, you know not local to Wales, but not a million yeah. miles away. Yeah. So yeah, they've done okay. that. Oh. Anyway, so we should talk about Amy Pond. Okay. Old age makeup. It didn't, I thought it was really good. Well, it didn't bother me this time. I think looking at it this time, it was sort of subtle, and they hadn't they hadn't gone full blown Matt Smith in Time of the Doctor. Well, on it, I watched it in HD for the first time. Yes. today. Yeah, and I thought in HD it was really impressive. Yes. Whereas I think if you watch it in SD, it's a bit too subtle and she doesn't right. look all that different. Possibly. But in HD, I thought it was really effective. Yeah. And the shots where the two faces are on screen at the same that was time, good. That was you well could done. really tell the difference. Yes. I think originally it was her performance as old Amy. She pitches her voice down lower. And, and I she found, walks, a, found yeah. originally that to be a little bit distracting. Did you? Uh, yeah, yeah, a little bit. But this time again, I I kind of because I'm because I've got more confidence in Karen Gillan's decisions as a performer. Now I've seen her in more things. That confidence allowed me to sort of suspend my kind of wariness of that decision. Yeah. And actually by suspending it, I accepted it a lot better. And once you accept it, then you can go go through it. Well, when I first watched it, I noticed it and thought, oh, I see what she's doing and she's doing a good job of it. Mm. And this time, I barely even noticed it. Right. Which kind of shows that I accepted it the first Mm. time and just it was a thing that didn't bear notice anymore. And you can tell, you can see how successful it is when young Amy comes back in that scene where they're, they're suddenly both in the same space. And you can see the differences in performance. And actually, she does a really good job of selling the fact they're both in the same space and feeling jealous about one another. Yeah. Which is quite, considering they're, they're not acting opposite one another. That's, and they must have filmed those scenes quite a f- sort of few hours apart. Yeah. In order yeah. to either yeah. put that makeup yeah. on or take Do it all off. Yeah. And they did that more times than I thought perhaps they would have done. Mm considering how difficult it must have been to do that kind of thing. Yeah. The other thing she does is she walks slightly bow-legged with a bit of a shuffle. Right. And again, it's quite subtle. Yeah. And I don't think I did notice that before, and I did notice that this time. Yes. And I thought that was another good choice. Yeah. Because what they didn't do, because what they'll sometimes do, is they'll bulk them up under the clothes a bit. Right. To make them look as if they've, well... Not to put too fine a point on it, does make them look as if they're bloated slightly, right? Because people's bodies change as they get older, and the easiest yeah. way to represent that is by having them a different weight. Mm. But obviously, they made a choice here yeah. not to do that because obviously she's fighting for her life yeah, the yeah. whole forty yeah. years, yeah. so she's not going to put weight on because she's probably also struggling to find food. Mm. So they made a choice not to do that, but and so. It was difficult to convey the fact that her body would still have changed shape, mm. even if she hadn't put any more weight on, because yeah. people's bodies, even if you don't put weight on, they still change shape. Yes. Because the way your muscles and your bones work. Yeah. 
And they, they help her with that by giving her this armour. So by by showing that. And they've thought that through as well. <clears throat> and that They're, slightly bow-legged walk, yeah. that slightly shuffle, just shows... yeah. So her performance is good, but also the decisions, the, the costume designers and the makeup and the set designer the and the writer, the decisions they make about where Amy would be if she was left on her own in 37 years, it feels consistent with her character. So you believe that actually she might invent a sonic device yeah. after given her... Or given her experience. Time. Time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And they seed that when she starts learning about how to defeat the handbots by sort of short-circuiting them. Well, and you can see the start of that yeah. process. And it's important that she does that on the very first day. Yeah. In the first sort of hour, really. Mm. So that it's immediate that this is the sort of thing she's going to do. And across 37 years, she's going to have to be constantly doing that. Yeah. So like yeah. we say, it, it all it all works. They thought about it. Yes. Yeah. Um, one thing I'm not sure they did think about, or they did, but forgot to put in the script, maybe. <clears throat> when she goes into the room, she, or... Rory and the Doctor go into the room. Yeah. And when Rory realises she hasn't come in, he just turns around, presses the button and goes back out. Yes. When Amy goes into the room and realises what's happening, her first instinct should be to go back to the door to press the button to come out. Right. She doesn't. Now, within the fiction, we later learn that she is in a quarantine area Mm. and she's on the patient side. Yes. So she wouldn't have been able to get out even if she tried. Mm. But we never saw a try. Right. And I think that's a trick that's been missed. Okay. Because wouldn't that be your first instinct? If you realised something had gone wrong to get yeah. back out of the yeah. room? Yeah. So I thought that was a mistake. Yes. Uh, not a terrible mistake. No. Because, no. like I say, she wouldn't have been able to get out because she was in a quarantined area now. And it's one of those omissions that you just, you can sort of gloss over with yeah. head cannon, I guess. Yeah. Maybe she tried doing it. Well, yeah, cut scene. Yeah. We should yeah. have seen it, though. I yeah. think we should have seen yeah. it. Yeah. I like those those sets. And I like the idea. I, I like the beginning of the episode. I thought it was sort of low-key. You have an episode where they get into trouble just by going into... So the way that the doctor, the doctor and Rory quite casually just wander into the room and the door shut. And then that mistake is the thing that sets the whole story rolling. The arc in space. Yeah, yeah, sort exactly. Of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got it's got that, except the arc in space took an entire episode to get to that point, really. Whereas yeah. this just does it. But it's like with most new Doctor Who, that first episode is normally condensed into the pre-title sequence of yeah, maybe the, yeah. first, the first episode, the first scene, and then you get into the second, third and fourth episodes. So... Again, Rory presses the green button. And again, this is not like a mistake necessarily, but I think it's something that maybe the script should have addressed. He presses the green button, she presses the red one. Hmm. And red is obviously a warning, right? Yes. I think they should have made them different colours. I think they should have made them green and blue or something. Right. Because I think automatically, if you're faced with a green button and a red button, you're going to pick the green one, right? Yeah, possibly. Green well, is yes. entry and red is not. Yes. Red but, is either warning or no entry. But they were also labelled. So I can't remember what the green was labelled. Uh, the red one was something red waterfall. waterfall. Yeah. yeah. And green... I can't remember. Which 
Which, well, on, on, I mean, I'd agree that I would probably press the green because it's green. But because they're labelled, maybe they have different... Maybe, yeah, it's a little bit less clear. And remember, they're on this sort of... They're on a planet that's supposed to be really beautiful. Well, yeah, yeah. So you see the button labelled Red Waterfall. That explains why it's red. Well, and this is why I think there should have been just one line of dialogue in the script. Yeah. Where she goes, walks up to the door, sees the two buttons, calls out, which one did you press, Rory? Yes. And the Doctor and Rory are talking. Yeah. And so we realise as the audience that they can't hear. And then she makes the decision. Right. I think the mistake is that she wouldn't have made the decision without asking first. Right. Okay. Or without, or with, or maybe a line saying, which one would Rory have pressed? Yes. I've got red hair, red waterfall, either, whatever. Do you know what that, I mean? Either that or the fact that she didn't ask and just decided to go for it. Yeah. Maybe that's... Shows that her support, That supports her, her kind of headstrong character. It does, but I think there should have been a line there. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think yeah. without there being a line there, it just feels really weird mm. for him to press one button and her to press the other, and we're just supposed to accept it yeah. without there being a line to cover it. Yeah. So I'm not saying it should have happened any differently, no. but just a line of dialogue over the pressing of the button would have made that stick out less. Yes. But, you know, again, that's just like a really mm. minor thing. Um, Rory. Yes. He's great. He's very this. good. Yeah. Yeah. But he's good in... He is. I don't think he gives a bad performance. He doesn't. Even when he's in a duff story, which is rare. But he's, he's not very often asked to hold an episode. No. Normally he plays third fiddle to both the Doctor and Amy. Yeah. And in this, this is kind of a two-hander, because a lot of his scenes are played entirely on his own. Yeah. And a lot of her scenes, obviously, are played entirely on her own. Mm. And obviously, when we get to the episode, it's her performance and it's her story. Yeah. But because he plays a lot of his scenes on his own, he's having to hold the story together mm. as much as she is. Yeah. And... Um, I think this is probably the first time he's ever had that on his shoulders. Yeah. And it's just nice to see it confirming how good we all knew it was. Yes. And in a way, it is his story. So yes. So the story's about her. But well, yeah, that's what I mean. About, yeah. about his relationship with her and the decisions he has to make. Yeah. Because when he's presented with two Amy Ponds, then that's still being told from his perspective. That's still a kind of a dilemma that he mm. has to work out how is he going to spend his life with with two versions of his wife. Well, it's like, um, yes, it's very ostens- ostentatiously about her, but not really. Yeah. It's like yeah. The Wizard of Oz mm. in that you see the title, yeah. you think it's about The Wizard of Oz, it's about Dorothy. Yeah. And in this, he's Dorothy. Yeah. Or, like, or like the film JFK, in fact. Yeah, which is the title. You think it's about JFK, then you discover it's about Garrison. Yeah, Jim Garrison. But then you actually discover it's about JFK anyway through Garrison. And yeah, yeah. So, so in fact, it's about it. It falls somewhere between Amy Pond and Rory. It's about their relationship, Mm. which is you know, but But it tells pretty well, really well written. Yeah, because it is that. Well, it tells as much as, of a story about him as it does about her. Yeah. And, yeah. That's, that, and that's what it should do. So, in fact, it's about them. Yes. Which is, quite, which is quite difficult to do. You always sort of put focus on one or the other. But to tell a story about a couple and about how they feel about one another, 
this is the way to do it. You sort of move the move the perspective between the two. And he he his performance is just as good. I mean, it's not as showy as <clears throat> Karen Gillan's, but but actually hers is really. I mean, it's it's not showy. Mm. It's um, very. On screen, you notice the differences, but she yes, she's very subtle. I mean, she's she's she plays it subtly, but but she's the one. But who she has but she has something very unsubtle to do to do. Yeah, um, but she does it well. Um, yeah, yeah. The one there is one complaint that was made at the time, and that the end is a cop out. Did really? you think the end was a cop out? No, I thought the end was one of the stronger. Bit. I thought the end really. I, mean, I was watching it a, this time. And I was thinking, right, it wasn't like the TV movie of well, turning back time. Although it was turning back. I'm time. talking really about the choices they make, right? Because the Doctor, it's obvious to us that he knows from the start that he's not going to have both Amys in, yeah. if only because we're not going to have two Amys in the no. next episode. Yeah. So we know that's coming. Yeah, and then it comes. De- so we know you're not going to have both Amys in at the end, mm. and after that fight. We know it's going to come down to either the Doctor shuts her out mm. or she, the older Amy, sacrifices herself, makes the choice. Yeah. And in the end, the Doctor shuts her out. When well, And she, she gets a chance to say, don't yes. let me in. Yeah. So it feels like she's sacrificing herself. So she does both. She it's sacrifices her of, and she yeah. shut up. Because, and that, that bit of dialogue, you know, don't open the door because I will come in. Yeah, that's Great quite line. that's quite a sophisticated idea. That yeah, the character's self-aware enough to know. Yeah, to know that she doesn't have the strength to do it. So she's asking Rory to make to, that to, call on yeah, her behalf. Yeah, um, which reminds me of probably one of the better scenes in the Rebel Flesh when the Doctor's asking Rory to step back from Amy from from false Amy right at the end. Because there's a, there's a lot of this with Rory. There's a lot of something's happened to Amy. Rory doesn't understand. The Doctor knows. The Doctor has to make the hard decision, but Rory actually has to enact that hard mm. decision. Rory has to be the one who steps back from false Amy, so she can turn into goo, and then they go and get her. And in this case, Rory has to be the one making the decision. And there's a weird shot in this episode where the Doctor's sort of listening. I can't tell if the Doctor's listening to what Amy and Rory are talking about. And Rory's sort of wavering about oh, opening they, the door. Yeah. But the Doctor doesn't really do anything about it. And I think that's purposeful. That's like a sort of Capaldi, you've got to make the decision. That's yes, like kill, yeah, kill yeah. the moon. The yeah, Doctor yeah. sort of steps out of this decision because it's about, because he seems to understand that this story is about Amy and Rory and their relationship. And... And he's stepping back. So in the terms of... And this Doctor, whereas Capaldi does it because he wants to put the onus on the other Mm. people, so that's a sort of proactive decision he makes. And he does something similar in Deep Breath as well, of course, when he leaves um, Clara Tira. But with the Matt Smith Doctor, it feels less proactive and more reactive as if he doesn't know what to do. Yeah, yeah. But also in sort of a meta way... It's, well, yeah, it's yeah. nice. It's it's a perfect Doctor Light moment because you're seeing the Doctor actually stepping back from the action in an episode where the Doctor has been kept away from the action. Oh yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. So there's there's a difference between between 
Matt Smith and Capaldi. And Matt, thought... Matt Smith has always been more <clears throat> random than, than Capaldi. I and think. again, the complaints about Matt Smith's performances in Series 6 don't hold up here, because I thought, again, that he was really excellent in this, given what that he he's... Had. Yeah. yeah, he's not in it very much, but yeah. his, his, his character and his playing of that character is taking things really seriously. Yeah. And he... Does he is giving off that he's troubled at the end of the episode? Yeah, because he really doesn't want to make that decision because that is a horrible decision to make. Yeah, because yeah. they are effectively killing a real Amy. Yes, yeah. So I mean, he doesn't stand out, but then he's not intending to. That, that's no. not his job to stand out. His job is to, you know, do what he does. What did you think of? Okay, let's go on to some of the minor things before okay. we uh, give it scores and stuff. What did you think of? Uh, the other Rory. Because, of course, there's not just two Amy's, but two Rory's in this. Oh, the, the robot. The yeah. That's good. I mean, there's a, there's a sort of a running um, a running line of humorous kind of... Robot sidekicks. Well, sort of like ca- well, no, it's sort of... It's Castaway, isn't it? It's the, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. the, the, the volleyball from Castaway. Yeah. And Handles is that, mm-hmm. and this is that. And I'm sure there are probably others littering around the place. I um, thought it was hilarious the first time I saw it. Yes. The moment where she says, Rory, sit yes. down, and the yeah. robot sits yeah. down. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, it wasn't so funny, like, no, the fourth I, time I've seen I it. I still thought it was funny. I mean, yeah. the, the way that, it's the way that robot sits down. It was really funny when our Rory sits down and looks up and realises the other Rory sat yes. down and looks at Amy and says, oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> There's, um... At the moment, I'm watching. I'm watching Lost in Space, the the reimagined mm-hmm. Netflix version of the original sixties. Some people films. on my timeline are saying it's the best thing ever, and some people are saying it's dreadful. I'm half. I'm well. I'm thinking it's good. Um, I think it's a little bit too serious. Um, but actually, it's. I'm, the more I'm watching, the more I'm getting into it. And there's obviously a robot in Lost in Space. Mm-hmm. There's famously a robot. And in this one, it's really well done. It's performed by some... They've been watching the kind of... And this is where it relates to the girl who waited. Uh, you know those sort of Honda robots? The actual oh, sort yeah, of Asimov yeah. Yeah. robots? Well, they're starting to kind of take those and extend them into it's the future. Yeah. yeah. And the Lost in Space robot does that but with a lot more joints and a lot more mobility yeah, yeah. Um, but it's still got that kind of slightly creepy or very creepy kind of blank face yeah um, and the, the hand bots in the girl who waited I think they do is sort of similar things the way the, the yeah. Rory hand bot sits down but doesn't quite sit it just finds a place to perch yeah, yeah. Um, and the way that they're using the, obviously they're using their hands um, but the, the way their faces operate as well that's very much sort of, that's kind of, that's not robots of death, robot no. scary. That's not stylized scary. That's that's kind of robots that are very, very close to what we already have. Because there are things on Facebook now, which is there's an American company that have made five different types of robot. One of which is looks, moves just like a dog and opens, <laughs> opens doors. Really? Yeah, yeah. And it's it's genuinely so. I'm watching these robots, and I'm thinking, actually, that's starting. That's uncanny valley mm. sort of levels of that sort of movement because they're learning to to keep upright, and people are sort of kicking them over, 
and they're sort of wobbling and staggering and then they're like carrying on yeah and, and that's sort kind of, of move, that's kind of movement uh, can, you can start to see where the, f- the future is and the future isn't entirely comfortable um, <laughs> well but but hand that the idea of the handbots i think is part of that i think it's part of there's a line in in recent doctor who where it has those kind of and the smile the the smile robots in smile yeah, yeah, are another insane. one of these but they're distinct from say the the robots in the beast below so there there's still the sort of two types but this is this is that type i think the doctor who's very good at actually doing what serves the story rather than yeah. being consistent to itself in a way that wouldn't be realistic because mm. you're not going to consistent locations no he's yeah. always been good at that yeah but yeah. I like the handbox. The handbox yeah. are good. I was just so sad when they didn't do a toy of them. Did they not do a? They stopped doing toys right. at the start okay. of the specials year. Okay. And then you'd get occasional ones. Right. And then they kind of came back during series five. So in the specials year, you had the next Doctor. Yeah. Where you could have had. You could have had something to represent the Cyber King and you could have had the Cyber Shades yes. and you could have had Jackson Lake and you could have had Miss Hartigan. Yeah. You didn't get any toys for the right. next Doctor. Mm. Planet of the Dead, you could have had the Tritivores. Mm. Is that what they were called? The insect yeah. things? Yeah, I think so. And you could have... There were other things you could you have had, had in the there. Bus. Yeah. And then Orders of Mars, you could have had Water People. Yes. Or the Robot. Yes. Yeah. But none of that. And then eventually... End of time, they did a set with the Time Lord and Rassilon and Regeneration Doctors. Yes. So, a distressed tenant and a Matt Smith and a tenant. Right. But that was an easy set to put out with four mm. different characters in it. Yeah. So, then Series 5, they said, right, we'll relaunch the toy range after basically having taken a year and a half off. Yeah. And did a mass of toys from things like The Beast Below. Right. That nobody really cared about. Yeah. Did they make them a different scale as well? No, no, this was before the this scales was, changed. Okay, right. So by Series 6, they'd wasted all this money creating toys for characters that were never going to... Well, they, they also ploughed a lot of money into the new Paradigm Daleks, because even I've got wind-up new Paradigm Daleks. I think the Daleks so, did okay for them. Right. I think the Daleks did better than things like Professor Bracewell. Right. Okay. Or... Um, What's it called? Demon Headmaster. Yeah. did him. Yeah. Right, yeah. I mean, he's in Beast Below for like six minutes. Mm. Why would they do one of him? Terence Hardiman. Terence Hardiman, yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, doing human characters and getting their faces right is a lot more difficult than yeah. doing yeah. robots and things. Mm. So, why waste all that money on doing a sculpt for Terence Hardiman? I, I mean, it's nice to have him. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Yes, but there are a lot of potentials in this series and the next. I mean, I'm thinking the gunslinger from, uh, yeah, from yeah, the, the yeah. western one, or even the peg dolls. I mean, there's they did do a the peg minotaur. doll. Yeah, no minotaur. They did do a peg doll. Right, they were going to do two. They were going to do a male and a female. Right, and in the end, they only did the male one. Okay. It's a real shame because I wanted the female one because mm. that was the Amy yes, peg doll. Yeah, yeah, we never got it. Right. But they did do. They actually went so far as to do a sculpt of that, and then just never put the figure out. So they spent all the money on it. Wow, crazy stuff. Yeah, but no handbots. No, that company no, just went no Amy Samurai. No, which would be really. Yeah. 
they went through a mad few years that company and yeah. I think they I think they basically pissed away all the goodwill right. really yeah. they took a year and a half off at the end of Russell T Davis mm. if you want to keep kids because I mean collectors grown ups who like to buy the toys one of each or whatever mm. that's a nice part of your market but yeah. that's not your main part of your market so it wasn't for us, hmm. but for the kids who are buying Doctor Who toys, yeah. if you take off 18 months at the end of Russell T. Davis, you've lost your momentum. Yeah. And yeah. so, and then when you come back with an end of time set with four, basically four humans in it and no monsters, yeah. you're not recapturing the momentum. Hmm. And then when you try and relaunch with loads of human characters like Bracewell, and Terence Hardiman's character and stuff mm. like that. Yeah. Again, that's not yeah. recapturing the market. No. They just really lost the plot around then. And and sadly, when you did start getting things like the handbots yeah. and the peg dolls, the momentum was gone. Yeah. So then, yeah, like you say, they tried to relaunch in a different size and yes. don't think that really worked. No. But now, apparently, they're going back to five inches. Oh, right. Okay. It's growing again. Well, they're going to try and relaunch again right. with um, with Jodie Whittaker. Okay. Although, given that's not until October, I don't know whether they'll relaunch for the Christmas market or relaunch at some point early next year. And I thought maybe it might have made more sense to do it early next year. Yeah. Because the Christmas market's always crowded. And if you're relaunching something in the Christmas market, you're going to get bumped out by the things oh. that are already have the momentum but this you? is now the world where there's a Star Wars movie every year yeah around Christmas time yeah so there's going to be a massive Star Wars might, there might not be this year no because Solo's, Solo's coming, coming out now so yeah. the next one will be summer next year probably yes. yeah hmm. but but Star Wars is still going to be big at Christmas mm. yeah because you'll have all the Solo toys yeah and yeah. no doubt that'll continue through and there'll be other things the next um Harry Potter universe films out at Christmas, isn't okay. it? Yeah, I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic so, piece. yeah. So these are all things with momentum. Yes. Yeah. And with Doctor Who, that momentum disappeared back in two thousand and nine. Yes. And that's like nine years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's cyclical, isn't it? It so, is. Yeah. One day it'll come back again. Well, hopefully, if they if they do it right, and there's because we don't know what's coming up in this series, but if there's the right kind of toys for the right kind of characters, yes, then hopefully. Although it's not five inches anymore, it's five and a half now. Did you know that? No. The five-inch figures, so, yeah. at some point, because of the method they used to manufacture them, they had to go to five and a half. Okay. So if you stand your Peter Capaldi toy next to your... I don't know, Matt Smith toy. Yes. He stands half an inch taller than he should do. Okay. Which looks really odd if you're standing right, right next to each other. Yes. And you're... I, I never, I've never stood them next to each other, so I couldn't swear to this, but I suspect also your Tom Baker as the curator toy... Right. ...probably stands half an inch taller than your Tom Baker as the fourth Doctor toy. Right, okay. Which, which is the wrong way of doing it. Yeah, insane. Yeah. I've never bought a new series... Oh, no. ...action figure. Uh, I mean, I'm very... Because if I start, then yeah, I won't well. stop. And they're really expensive. Well, I, fortunately, when they started, I had a 
enough free cash right. to sort of be getting sort of one of each. Right. Yeah. Not, or, you know, because they weren't coming out so often, it was impossible to keep up. Mm. Yeah. And actually, the fact that there's been so far fewer of them has actually been a bit of a blessing, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Still, we'll see how it goes. All right, anything else on The Girl Who Waited? Um, There's not really a lot to it. No. Because it's in the no. character beats. Yes, it's in the yeah. characters. I mean, as, as I said, I liked it a lot more this time. And I think I saw, and I think that partly comes from being more used to to all of the performances. I'm buying into this chemistry between the three characters. I'm really, I'm really sort of getting into the idea that I'm getting into it beyond the idea because I knew when it was on that these actors got along with each other, and that's fine. That's like the demons, you know, the actors get along and And they're having fun. It's famously the case throughout the Russell T. Davis yeah, or the tenant years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, famously, it's not now. <laughs> yeah, Christopher Eccleston for the years, first year, yeah, where it but... sounds like not, nobody got along. Um, but uh, but originally, that can either be insufferable or it can be a draw. And I think actually, having seen them also together at convention, I haven't been to conventions, but I've heard stories and seen clips and seen interviews with them together. You can sort of see that they're they're kind of they're all at the beginning of their career. And they're all enthused for what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. Which is a big plus. Yeah. You know, it's, well, it's not something you should take for granted, let's say. No. But it, who'd have thought? I mean, Karen Gillan is now probably the most prominent. She's the, the three, one that's yeah. really broken Hollywood. Out of David Tennant and Matt Smith yeah. and Andrew Darville. Not Andrew Darville. Arthur. Arthur Darville. But all of these these actors that have been in... In the series, Karen Gillan's the one that's that's actually broken through. I mean, she's a genuine. She's done two. Uh, she's well, she's Mar- based series, hasn't she? Uh, uh, films, yeah. And she's she's Marvel now. Yeah, so she's got that. She was in Jumanji. So yes, she's, yes. And she was quite prominent, as far as I can tell, in that. Yes, she so she, looks so she's actually such, yeah. she's actually. But the the Guardians of the Galaxy films, I think. She wasn't central in the first one, but I think she was one of those characters that they really liked. So they and it wasn't just the character; they liked the performance. They liked her in it. So they bumped her up. So they bumped the her up, and also in the new Avengers movie, she's going to be in. Oh in really? That. Yes, yeah. of course she is. I see. So, yeah. so it's an actor who's been in Doctor Who, who's in the new Avengers movie, which yeah. is likely to be, you know, one a, of the biggest a films, billion, so, yeah. billion yeah. plus pound film, and that's and that's. I I wouldn't have expected that. I didn't expect that. I thought I thought when I first saw her in the series that she was destined to be a really good actor, television actor, mm. possibly in America, but in Britain as well. Like David Tennant's turned out to be. He's never quite broken, broken in America. Um, I think he's tried, but but he did the American version of Broadchurch, didn't he? Yes, and he auditioned for Hannibal as well so he's auditioned I think for a lot of things that would have broken him in America and didn't get them didn't get them he did get Jessica Jones oh yes which was his which was his one of his few American successes but I also suspect that he's got a family here now so I suspect the desire to break in America you don't need to anymore do you necessarily not with Netflix now you can just do things here 
Right, should we give it a score? Okay. Do you want to go ahead? So, shall we start with Simon? <laughs> um, I think seven out Simon, of... Simon, I give it a big fat eight out of ten because it's my favourite number. Oh, Lee. I, think... I loved it. It was brilliant. Five out of ten. <laughs> I'd give it seven um, because I still like it, but it's not... It's I, I still... It's not my favourite type of story, that kind of abstracted, high-concept science fiction. I can see that there's a place for it. But I really, I'm really looking forward to next week's ah, episode. Yeah. Basically, well, I think I gave it nine when I wrote the review, mm. and I'm hovering between an eight and a nine now because I don't think it's quite as good as I thought it was. No, that's not true. Actually, I do think it's as good as I thought it was. But like I say, there are niggles. Mm. There are niggles that sort of develop over time. But no, I think I'm going to stick to the nine because mm. I. Because I do like this kind of story, as yeah. long as it's not this story every week. Yeah. And um, now I do think it's a really good example of this kind of story. So yeah, I think okay. I'll stick with a nine. Right. Okay. Film review then. Okay. Actually, I've watched two films in the last two days. Okay. So one is the one I spoke about before, Neon Bull. Yes. Which is a Brazilian film, hmm. and it's set. In the rodeos, so bull rodeos, right? So, but it doesn't follow the rodeo riders, it follows the wranglers, mm. which is the people who look after the bulls, right? And um, so the people who drive the truck around the countryside going from one place to another. So, basically, it's just the five characters who look after the bulls. And take them around. In other words, what it does is, it says to you, you like going out for a drive into the countryside, or you visit a nice inn in the countryside or whatever, and you see what the countryside looks like to somebody who spends a couple of hours there once a month. This film is saying, right, this is what the countryside is like for the people who live there and work there. And it has absolutely no story whatsoever. Okay. It's an hour and 40 minutes of just scene after scene after scene, each scene being essentially a little vignette of its own. Right. And it basically just says, right, this is a thing that happened to this character on this day. Even It's not even things. Yeah. There's hardly any things happening in it. There'd be literally a three-minute scene of a character sees something he wants in a field, walks across the field, picks it up. Right. And literally, you'll have three minutes, which is just that. Yeah. So there's there's no narrative, mm. hardly at all. And um, almost every scene is one unbroken shot. Sometimes, okay. sometimes zooming, sometimes not. Yeah. Sometimes panning, sometimes not. Yeah. But it's really beautifully made. Right. And it's the performances are all really low key. Mm. And you don't I can't say you get much impression of character. This is just the sort of nobodies who wrangle the bulls. Right. And you just get to spend two hours finding out what real people are like in mm. jobs that you don't think about when you go to the circus or whatever. You don't think about the people who drive the trucks. You yeah. think about the ringmaster and the clowns. Right. 
Yeah. This is essentially the Brazilian version of that, except with a rodeo instead. It's very brutal, some of it. Right. There's no killing bulls. Yes. Though. So anybody who's worried about bulls getting killed on screen, there's none of that. There are a couple of what you might think of as suspect things. Mm. There's a sex scene at the end that's about, I can't remember, seven, eight, nine minutes, all in one unbroken shot from start to end, which is the climax of the film, to coin a phrase. But but again, it's just all one unbroken shot. Mm. And it's all... the camera is always at a distance almost. Right. Yeah. So it's like it's just looking into these people's lives. There's good making of on there. Yeah. Where it has video footage of them rehearsing the stuff before they go off and do it. Right. Okay. Because you'd almost think it was a documentary if you didn't see that. Yeah. It was really good. How long were the scenes? Each scene was an unbroken Each scene was an unbroken, unbroken shot. I'd say on average each scene is an unbroken three minutes. Right. Okay. Some of them, they're, they're not... It's no, not. Yeah. It's not specifically unbroken all the way through, but the vast majority of them are just unbroken shots. Mm. But you don't. It's not one of those things where you think, "Oh God, I wish there was a camera break." Because no. you're watching the actors. Yeah. And so the director. Well, quite often with the unbroken with those films where they have unbroken shots, you don't think, "I want more pace or I need a camera shot," because it's so obvious that the director is doing this as a kind of a meditative. Well, it's immersive not, thing. But in, in this instance, he's not. He's right. doing it for documentary style. Right. So he's doing it for... Here's a scene between a mother and a daughter where the mother tells the daughter off and the daughter starts crying. Yeah. And you want to stay on the actors. You don't want to cut. Yeah. Because as soon as you cut, instinctively you know it's a different performance, right? Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, the camera in one place, then they had to reset with the camera in the other place. Yeah. So you don't want the cuts because you want to watch the performance. Yes, yeah. Even though the performances are really, really low-key, to be frank. Yeah. But you do want to watch them. Sounds like Bellatar. There's a director called Bellatar who does exactly that. Mm. Low-key performances, long, unbroken shots, sort of documentary style. Yeah, I say documentary style. It's It kind of is and it isn't. Cinema verite. Yeah, it, well, no, it can, it's not because it's um, the cap. There's no handheld. No, it's all right. the cameras are all. What they're doing is like very cinematic. Right. Okay. The pans and the zooms and that mm. are all, you know, very premeditated. Where well, if there are pans and zooms, then that that's not documentary style. So well, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's not documentary yeah. style. Yeah. But it sort yeah. of. It's documentary style in the way it captures the so performances. Real, so it's a realism rather than... Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, okay. it's neither one nor the other. Yeah. It's, it's documentary style in the way it captures the performances, mm. but very non-documentary cinematic yeah. in the way it shoots the performances. Mm-hmm. So it finds this sort of halfway house that really yeah. works. Really mm-hmm. works. Yeah. But I also watched Space Truckers, which I've okay. never seen. Do you know what Space Truckers is? I'm sure I've heard of it. I've possibly seen it. Is it an old science fiction movie? 96. Right. Thing. Okay. It's with a fair budget. For yeah. 96, I think it was $25 million. Right. Which would probably be like the better part of 100 now, I guess, 20 okay. odd years later. Oh. Yeah. You can't see it on screen. Right. <laughs> to be perfectly frank. Right. I mean, it's got special effects that look like they probably cost a lot of money, but. but Probably look 
they look like they probably cost a lot of money, but wasted money because they don't look expensive, if you know what I mean. Right, yeah. And uh, it's such an oddly judged film. It's, it's advertised as a comedy, but it's not funny. Right. Okay. I mean, some of it's sort of... Well, there's one scene with Charles Dance, a sex scene, as it were, oh, that is deliberately played for laughs. Right. But that's the only part of the movie that's played for laughs. Mm. Oh, he's half cyborg. It's... Yeah. It's okay. as odd as it sounds. Oh. But the rest okay. of it is like it's not played for laughs, but everybody in it kind of knows they're in a comedy, but there aren't any jokes. It's such right. a really odd tone. But the production design on it, it's all yellows and greens. It's like somebody's vomited all over the cameras. It's just the most oddly judged thing. Right. And Dennis Hopper in the lead. Okay. <clears throat> and he gives a... So Dennis Hopper's not given his usual Dennis Hopper. With he, and he's, you know, he's not given his intense Dennis Hopper. Mm. He's given his bemused Dennis Hopper. Right. But there's some odd things in the plot as well. There's one in the narrative. There's, there's a bit where somebody... He plays like a cargo hauler in outer space. Mm. There's a bit where somebody steals his cargo. And he says... He looks out of a window, sees the cargo disappearing from the back of his, like, space truck thing. And says, somebody's stealing my cargo. And then you cut to the next scene where you think he's run off to do something about it. And he's still standing at the window talking to somebody. <laughs> it's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Just like... Okay. For about the first half an hour, I was thinking, my God, this is one of the worst things I've ever seen. Right. Eventually, you sort of fall into the tone of it and get used to it. Right. And by the end, it was quite enjoyable. Yeah. It's one of those ones that's so oddly judged, you can tell just by watching it that there are some people that hold it up as a weird classic. Right. Okay. So it's got that kind of cult. Yeah, exactly. But by the same token, you can see that outside of the people who hold it up as a cult classic, pretty much everybody else would have run a mile. Yeah. Well, there's probably a reason why it's not very well known. I thought days. it was quite well known, to be honest. Maybe it's because I'm slightly older than you. Right. I remember when it came out. Right. And I remember there was quite a lot of promotion for it when it came out. Okay. Okay. But I, it's just one of those things I've never caught. Mm. So I thought it's out on Blu-ray in a few weeks. And I thought there was a review copy. I'll ask for that. Okay. And see whether because I knew it had a reputation as a cult classic, and I thought oh, maybe it's one of those things that's really good. Yes. No, it's not. Okay, okay. But it wasn't. Well, some of it was dreadful. Yeah. On the whole, it wasn't as bad as it might have been. Probably not a recommendation then. No, it's not a recommendation. <laughs> okay. If you're in the mood for something really bizarre, yes, and you think anything I've said might sound like something you could enjoy then maybe it's a film you really enjoy. But uh, if if the things that I've said sound like the kind of stuff you won't enjoy, then there's no way you're going to enjoy this because it's all those things and worse. Okay. There's so many stilted scenes where... There's a bit where the three of them get tied up. There's three main characters, Dennis Hopper, Debbie Mazar, right. and um, oh, I forget his name, the guy who played the fifth Beatle in Backbeat. Ian Hart? 
Mm. No. No, he played Lennon, didn't he? Um, uh, I can't remember. Oh, uh, Stephen... Stephen Dorff. Yes. Yes. Like yes. He's the other one. Right. And um, there's a bit where they all get tied up. And, you know, normally in a scene where you're getting characters tied up, they're struggling. Or if they're not struggling as they're being tied up, there's a sort of... There's an urgency. Mm. There's just no urgency. They just get tied up and they just sort of stand there waiting to say their lines. Right. It's like that all the way through. Okay. The scenes in the truck, for about... After the first 15 minutes and before you get into the story, there's about a 15, 20-minute sequence where they're just in the front of the truck, the three of them, and it's just a static camera on the three of them in their seats in the truck. Right. And you're thinking, surely the director should have found a way to make this feel as if something was happening yeah. even if you know there's nothing really much happening you've got to make it interesting to look at yeah it just felt really stilted wow. even the action scenes are a bit stilted as well it's just a really odd film okay anyway yeah right next week uh all goes well it's the return of elton and paul right. from a few weeks ago to talk about a Vaguely similar subject to the one we talked about last time. Similar but different. Yeah. Because I'm trying to break these reviews up. But the week after that, we'll come back for the God Complex. Okay. And maybe we'll have Lee and Simon. <laughs> they turn up. Yes, that text that you yes. probably heard is probably one of them saying, Oh, was it tonight? Or saying, I'm outside. Well, I should hope not, because it's an hour and a half nearly after we arranged to meet. Ah. Well, it's a text from Simon... Basically saying he forgot. Okay. <clears throat> That's no excuse. Not he'll, really. He'll never get to rate the girl who waited now. Unless I ask him next time, which I shall now make a point of not doing. Yes, yeah. All right, fair enough. Well, until next time then, I was JR. I was Matt. And we'll speak again soon. Yeah.